we're starting to shape up this bullpen to where um, I think it could, you know, perform well for us late in the year um, in those higher leverage situations and big games. So I'm looking forward to that. Welcome, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to the first 2024 edition of the Broadway and Clark podcast. I'm Mark with my co-host and really uh, the person that makes this thing run, Duncan. How are you, Duncan? Hanging in there. 2024, time for a new year, Uh, new Cardinals team. I'm getting excited. Let's forget about 2023 now, and we can just focus on uh, a new season and, and looking forward now. So I'm I am brimming with excitement with the new year now. So, amen to that. I know it's been a couple weeks since you all have heard us uh, coming to your podcast feed, and we're aware of that as well. We uh, we strive to be. I don't want to say professional. I would say more like very much amateurs that care but we also have big families and you know lots of things going on in our lives and not for nothing there hasn't been a ton of stuff going on in the MLB over the last couple weeks so all that being said (laughs) we uh we're happy to be here uh like I said for the first edition of 2024 And to kick us off, one of the things we're going to try to do is we're going to try to keep our topics somewhat under control in terms of time. Duncan even threw out the idea of a 10 minutes per topic. I don't have very much confidence at all in either of our ability to do that, (laughs) but it is a goal. So you, our dear listeners, now know that we have goals just like you do. We didn't make a formal resolution because then it would fail by the second week of January, as we all know. So, Duncan, why don't you consider that our uh, say consider that our pitch clock? Right, right, yeah. Well, and based on the amount of balls that were given or strikes that were uh, assessed on batters that were a little slow getting back in. I don't think it's too big of an issue for us, and so we'll do our best. Why don't you get us started with the most recent, because there was some Cardinals news this week, and I know you've looked at it a little bit, and so I would love to hear your thoughts on um, our new relief pitcher. Yeah, it's been a little bit since uh, we had any kind of action on the Cardinals front in terms of names and players and rumors and links and those kind of things but we actually have a solidified uh, move here now since uh, since Thanksgiving rolled around I think it was around then with that uh, Sonny Gray had signed so uh, quite a quite a while maybe a touch after that but uh, quite a while since we've seen anything we got uh, a trade happening now between the Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Rays Cardinals are moving uh, Richie Palacios down to Tampa in return for 
uh, Andrew Kittredge, a Andrew Kittredge, excuse me, uh, a relief pitcher uh, for the Rays, a higher end relief pitcher. Um, just a one for one, uh, really interesting. Uh, got a guy in, in Kittredge that's a an older guy, uh, experienced uh, reliever. He is thirty three, uh, going to be thirty four this upcoming season. Um, so a, a veteran there for a guy in Richie Palacios that uh, is still, I don't even know if he still has his rookie eligibility, but uh, a lot of years of, of control, let's just put it that way, for the Rays. And typical Rays business, uh, the way that they do business, you know, you're going to have a guy in Kittredge that's going to be making some money um, at the point in his career, and they needed to uh, flip that for some control with a, a minimum salary. So I think something that's going to be uh, – a, a good move for both sides um something that the cardinals need in, in bulking up the bullpen um and i think in an effective way uh from my perspective uh, and then also for for palacios a guy that you know the rays are probably going to find a way to get uh, maybe not every day uh reps and everything but finding him his spots and their platoons that they like to do that just wouldn't have been possible uh with the cardinals you know he probably wasn't even looked at as a fourth outfielder uh, and then especially when you look at our depth as well with victor scott the second um waiting in the wings too uh down in triple a so um uh, definitely a uh, a movable piece for the cardinals uh so i think really really nicely done uh capitalizing on the um half less than half of the season that he had with us after we picked him up from cleveland um, and he kind of showed up, showed out a little bit in the uh, second half of the year. Um, what were your initial thoughts on it before I dive too deep into it? Well, I agree with you that the idea that, you know, there's no doubt we need help in the bullpen. And uh, based on what you just said about Kittredge, you know, I can see the positives there. Obviously, to get a guy like that at a low price, you know, relatively low price and so on, you have to give up something. And based on the fact that we owned Kittredge for all of, you know, a month and a half or two, whatever it was, a regular season play, uh, I'm looking at his stats here. He got 93 ABs, scored nine times. Uh, you know, he did hit six doubles and six homers. Pretty darn good ratio uh, in 93 at-bats. He had an 823 OPS. You know, all very, very positive. But he's an outfield DH type um, on a team that's depth is in the outfield, right? He is in his – he did – he was 26 last year. Right, that's a good point too. Yeah, you know, his age, he's going to be what? What is that going to be? Thirty-two when he hits free agency. Right. So, uh, you, so definitely an older, older start. Yeah. So you get all of his prime, but what is that prime going to be? By the time you're twenty-six, the people that do this for a living every day, they have a pretty good idea. Unless you're a pitcher, for position players, there aren't a ton of them that really break out, you know, after the age of 25. So 
I mean, I'm thinking of a guy like Tommy Pham. I forget how old he was. That was the name I thought. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, he's he's the exception that proves the rule, right? And it's just, right. you know, it's like the catcher. And even so. What's that? I was saying, even so, you think he's the exception that proves the rule, but what was Tommy Pham's peak? He was a, a serviceable MLB player, but, I mean, he wasn't anyone who blew the doors off a place and carried a team on his back either so no no he's um, not a multi-time all-star i don't believe he you know solid solid for the most part you know plug and play kind of player uh who had you know his particular skill set and richie also does i mean richie you know he's all airport looks the part right looks like a ball player and uh, his numbers are pretty good. I think in the in the outfield, I don't I don't know that he's a plus defender. I could be wrong about that. But um, yeah, his defensive metrics aren't phenomenal. He's in the fifty first percentile in arm strength. So as a center fielder, not phenomenal. So he's just the guy. Um, yeah, and his range outs above average is negative three. So it's like I mean, he yeah, just a guy. Well, and at the end of the day, I think that really speaks to this idea that we've touched on in various ways, especially when we talked about Mo trying to rebuild the staff of, you know, how much do we discount your infatuation? When I say you, I don't mean Duncan. I mean, right. you, the, the you know, universal you the other persons, how do we discount their infatuation with the unknown future? You know, with their desire to, to, you know, make a guy the next Albert Pujols because he hasn't done it yet. And that's, you know, I mean, we all, I, I believe that we all suffer from that. And so, well, you know, I mean, I was, I was crying the blues a little bit about Adolis, although the more I look at that guy, I'm not sure I'd rather have him than, say, like a Lars Nupar right now. Um, even though that sounds like a crazy statement, talk to me in five years and let's see what the dude's done, you know, in the intervening time. Um, again, I'm kind of committing the crime I'm, I'm charging everybody else with of trying to project the future, but that's a big part of the sport, right? And it's especially a big part of the guys that are and gals that are charged with building the team. And so, you know, Kittredge, we know, we kind of know what he is and he's, he's somebody we need. And, you know, I'm sure I'm certain there weren't 10 of those guys that required a lesser return that we just decided not to get. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think as a per- a perfect job by the front office capitalizing on uh, you know dealing from an, an area of of excess uh, to get an area of need. I think this is this was uh, just if you could draw it up, this is exactly what you'd want to do. Um, even if it's only for a single year, okay, that's fine. That's uh, what do you want to sign a bullpen arm for three, four years, or have something like that? Nobody wanted that when uh, we were signing Greg Holland and 
Andrew Miller and all those names to three or four year deals. Brett Cecil. Uh, so I, yeah, year to year on bullpen arms. I'm all good with that. Well, and and I think any GM, you know, uh, president, of, you know, PBO, whatever, whatever title the guy's getting, um, any of them worth their salt realizes they got to rebuild the bullpen essentially every year, or right at least tweak it. You know, it's interesting that what's going on with Hater? Is he still out there? Still out there. Right, yeah. I thought so. So, you know, interestingly enough, arguably the best closer in the game hasn't secured a contract yet because I guarantee you, you know, 29 or 30 of the 30 teams, whatever, are right now saying to themselves, can we reasonably pay a closer, you know, upwards of $20 million a year or more? That's a tough decision. Yep. Well, and you look at our, our situation too. Uh, if you're going to commit that kind of money to a closer, what is that saying to your ball club and, and a guy like Ryan Helsley, who's in, I mean, sure, he's in his ARB years and everything, and he doesn't have a whole lot of say in it. But if you're trying to build a ball club and uh, with the clubhouse culture in mind and everything as well, uh, you know, you have a guy who's been doing it for you and has been very effective, and you're just going to tell him, oh, we don't need you anymore in the ninth. Sorry. Or are you going to try to tell Josh Hader, oh, well, you're going to kind of, we're just going to mix and match, and you're going to share the sh- share the saves and everything with Helsley. He's going to be like, no, I'm going somewhere else. What are you, You're joking, right? So it just doesn't make a lot of sense for us. Great. I agree completely. No, and – and with if if you get to the place where, especially with closer, that guy's you know either a guy's your closer is on your team, you know especially if he's established as as that's going to be his yeah. role. I mean, it's not Adam Wainwright in two thousand six or seven, right? Um, it's Helsley. That's that's who he is. He's got a unique, you know set of skills that lend him to potentially being, you know, a really highly effective closer. And, and so far he's been okay. I don't, I don't, uh, he doesn't give me quite as much stress as all the rest of them. He's like every other modern, you know, hundred mile an hour throwing pitcher. He's willing to walk as almost as many guys as he strikes out or whatever the numbers are. Cue the cue the Blake Snell uh, graphic. Another guy doesn't have a deal yet. Right. So anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so Kittredge, what uh, lefty or righty? I forgot to ask him. He is a righty, six one two thirty. And when was the best year? Are you uh, looking at that? I am. So best year twenty twenty one. He was an all star. Really nice numbers actually that year. Uh, and this was part of like my deeper dive I had on my, on him and everything then. So he had a one eight eight ERA, uh, pitched uh, what was this? Oh, seventy one innings, seventy one and two thirds innings. A, that's a decent. Had a one eight eight ERA. Yeah, nine point seven strikeouts per nine. Uh, really, really nice job that year. And I, 
his average ERA is a three six five. So he definitely uh, overperformed his average that year. But if he can find, you know, what he was doing then, I think he's going to be in in great shape. Because uh, some of my <laughs> deeper dive on him and everything too. Um, what I was finding, so he's a fastball slider, uh, fastball sinker and slider guy. Uh, slider, from what I could tell, definitely seems to be his put-away pitch. Right. Um, and that year that he was an all-star, his sinker was incredible that year. Um, and on Baseball Savant, they've got some really great numbers where they kind of break, break down each pitch type and the run value. They assess, assign a value uh, to that pitch. They call it run value. Uh, and so that season, his sinker was the highest of any of his pitches in any of his professional years in terms of run value. So his best year, his best pitch. Um, This past year, in 2023, um, he had a negative run value uh, for that. It was one of his worst pitches in years uh, that he's ever had. Uh, So it seems to be that the sinker is kind of his... um, the, the hinge on, on how well he does overall. And if he has a good sinker, then his slider is going to work really well off of that. Cause it seems like his slider has been relatively consistent each year too. Um, so if he can find that, that sinker slot and everything and, and whatever he was doing, then I think he's going to be going to be nasty and everything. Um, he is coming off of Tommy John surgery. I did find some interesting stuff about Tommy John surgery. I started thinking, okay, like, you got guys coming off of TJ. Um, what does that do as far as what pitches they throw? And, like, with the stress with different pitch types and things like that, apparently they've done studies on it. There's no actual significant different difference as far as what pitches players throw in terms of how likely they are to have Tommy John or uh, in terms of, like, the stress it puts on your arm, that kind of a thing, which I found very interesting. Um, it has a lot more to do with how hard you throw. And then also your release point. So I was like, because I, I wondered, you know, throwing a sinker, you have to, the way you release the ball is kind of the opposite of a curveball, and you have to pronate your wrist going the opposite direction. Um, and so I was like, oh, is that going to put stress on your wrist or anything or, or on your elbow? Wasn't sure. So apparently it doesn't really matter. So not concerned about that being an issue with him really coming back or anything like that. So hopefully he can figure something out with that sinker and really be a high leverage guy that we can put back there with, you know, him Gallegos, if he can find his form again, Helsley, um, and Jojo Romero back there too. So, um, I think we could, we we're starting to shape up this bullpen to where, um, I think it could, you know, perform well for us late in the year, um, in those higher leverage situations in big games. So I'm looking forward to that. We didn't trade Steven Matz, did we? Not yet. Uh, and I say yet because there was some chatter about potential of that. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. But, yeah, still on the team right now. I'm looking at our depth chart on MLB.com, and it doesn't have Matz listed. Are you looking at, like, well, the starter's they, depth chart? Yeah, they got him in the bullpen. Yeah, that, that that doesn't surprise me. There's been some speculation if he's going to get moved to the bullpen. So, but that kind of leads us into kind of one of our next things we were talking about. With you know, you brought up the idea 
uh, before we were talking about what do we still need um, and that you know leads into as well what are we trying to accomplish uh, in 2024 so what do we need what do we still need to be able to accomplish what we need to do you have some thoughts about that after this move I mean honestly and you know I say this at the risk of you know having somebody uh, find out where I live and come get me but I think we could start the season with what we have right now. Yeah. And and then like a, a mid-season trade deadline move kind of a thing? Well, I'm not certain they're done. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, and, you know, I mean, so, so when you say what do we need? Well, we need a better bullpen than we had last year. Have we accomplished that with the additions? Can we take a break here for a little bit? Take your time. Just hit, Just come back on when you're ready. All right, let me let me jump back in where I was. Oh yeah, we were saying like, what do we still need, right? Yep, and we were talking about. Okay. The, I was going to say something about the bullpen. So three, two, one. So yeah, in the case of you know, like if you look at the bullpen, like I was saying just a moment ago, is it better now than it was, say, at the end of the year, or do you feel better going into the season with this group? And when you look at Helsley, Romero, Kittredge, and I got to throw Gallegos in there. Yeah. As much as he drives me crazy sometimes, his overall body work is, is solid. Right? Then Definitely. you got guys like Palante and Mats. Both guys that have been had multiple injuries. If Mats is not going to get, I mean, I I am I'm assuming that whenever they need a spot starter, he's first on the list. They also have Matthew Libertor, and they can't keep this entire depth chart. There's two, four, six, eight, ten. It looks like eleven names. So three of these guys got to go. That's probably James Nail. Yeah. Uh, John King. And Ryan. He was good last year, but, I mean, yeah, when you got uh, enough other guys, I mean, it could just be a spring training tryout. Go win the job. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. Because one of the guys on the list is Libertor. They're still invested in him. Uh, I've heard chatter about him being more uh, more so a bullpen arm now than and trying to maximize that versus trying to make him a starter because they haven't had success thus far. So right. that would that could be really interesting. I mean, he literally just turned twenty four two months ago, so he's still a young man. He's got. You know, physically, he's got everything. He's a lefty. 
We all love that, which is maybe why John King stays on the roster because he's also lefty. Uh, obviously, Romero got most of those innings last month and a half of the season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, or the, or the higher, I should say, that I feel like he got the higher leverage ones over King. I could be misremembering that. Um, but he's two years younger, JoJo is. Um, he's 28, I guess, or coming up on, no, he just turned 27. And uh, uh, King turned 29. Um, So, but anyway, when we break it down, I mean, Robertson's an unknown, but, you know, we saw some things we liked in the stats and in the story. Uh, So, you know, theoretically, we could have a plus bullpen. Yeah, I think so. You know, we do, there's. I mean, I'm not looking at names on here and saying I don't know if this guy can pitch in the big leagues. Maybe James Nail. Um, but other than that, everybody else on here, I don't. Who tell me about Ryan Fernandez? Who is he? How do I not remember this guy? So he was a Rule Five pickup, uh, also from the Red Sox, I think. Uh, not a ton of information on him that I know of, but. So he didn't. He's got to at least be on the forty man. No, no. Okay, that makes me feel better. Anyway. So yeah, what do, what do you think? Because it looks like uh, the front office is kind of doing this. Uh, we're kind of bulk up the bullpen as much as we can. Try to get you know these um, high ceiling, hard throwers uh, in the bullpen to try to just have one of, one of the top bullpens in the league, and then just get innings from your starters essentially is kind of the biggest thing I, I would I would still love to for them to add another starter I think that's I, I'm I would be not surprised but kind of if they were to try to go sign a out and out closer like Josh Hader or something like that Kimbrell already signed for the O's but something like that um I'd be kind of surprised with that, just given what they've done with the bullpen already and how many names and arms we've gotten there. Um, I know they've already made three additions as far as starters, but, I mean, if you go out and you somehow trade for Dylan Cease or something like that, I think that could really put us in a really nice spot as far as pitching goes. And I, I feel like that's almost the direction that they need to go now versus try to get another back end of the bullpen guy. I, I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think Mo. <laughs> right. In fairness to Mo, I think he's been, you know, for him, about as transparent as he could be. And he did his work early, didn't play around, and, you know, basically said, Done and dusted. We needed three starters. I got three starters. I could have tried to slide by with only two, but I knew, and everybody else that was paying attention knew, that really it was three. Now, none of them are, I don't know, former Cy Young Award winners, uh, you know, top of the – Sonny never won a Cy Young, no. 
top of the bullpen. Second, that's it, yeah. Say again? I said second last year, but that's it. Yeah, second, right. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, my point is, is that the only one who's kind of in his prime-ish that's, you know, considered a top-level starter is Sonny Gray. But you could do worse than having Sonny Gray as your best starter. If you look around the league, I would argue there's at least 10, if not a dozen other teams that don't have a number one better than Sonny Gray. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. And once you put them all together, I mean, here's the deal. It's, this isn't fantasy baseball. This is real baseball. So every other team can compete for the same guys you want. It's not a roll of the dice or whose turn it is next or any of that. Uh, I mean, I can't say – I can't be any more positive on what the Dodgers are doing other than if I was the person in charge of their money, Right. And that's a bigger conversation that we that we should continue to have and maybe even dedicate, you know, a longer term on it. But at the end of the day, as long as they're playing within whatever rules exist, they can do whatever they want. And I'm still not sure that their rotation, at least for 2024, without Shohei – is good enough to win the World Series. Or, let me, I want to say it that way, because you can win with darn near any role. We saw what the Rangers just did. But you, you, there's nothing that guarantees the Dodgers, the division, the pennant, or the World Series just based on their pitching staff, uh, on their starters. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yeah. So, so we're in the same place as far as I'm concerned. Which led me to another thought. You made a comment earlier, what do we need and what is our goal? Well, you know, I don't think we can, we can remind ourselves of this often enough, but our goal is to win the World Series. So the only way you can do that is first you got to get into playoffs. And the best way to get into the playoffs is to win your division. The, really the best way to do it is to, is to be one of the top two division winners. Uh, which is difficult because, as I see it, the 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 obstacles in our path, you know, other than the Cubs, Brewers, Reds, and Pirates, is the you know the the better teams in our league. And for me, those there's two of them, and they're the same two that have been there for a while now, and that's the Braves and the Dodgers. Um, you may have some feelings on a couple other teams. I mean, obviously, those two teams weren't in the NLCS, for example, or the World Series as the NL rep this year. Um, and I do think that Arizona's building something. And I believe that there's enough star power on the Phillies that they're going to be, you know, they're going to want to be heard from. But if we. Do what we, you know, one of the, one of my, one of the cliches that I probably hate the most, but also would fight to the death that it's accurate is that you can only control what you can control, right? 
And so the Cardinals need to go out and win as many games as they can in the regular season. Set up their team in such a way that they don't kill themselves to do that. Because some teams do that, right, Duncan? Some teams just just go as hard as they can so that they can, you know, finish as well as possible. But then for for whatever reason, they kind of hit that wall. And over the last, you know, what I would say the modern era, the post-steroid era, so probably 04 time frame to now, the last 20 years, it feels to me like the teams that, you know, are hot at the right time, get hot when they need to, i.e. the Diamondbacks and the Rangers last year, you know, the Cardinals, uh, you know, in, I mean, our most recent World Series, um, you know, the the uh, Nationals in 19. There's just a many examples. I, f- I feel like that's more often the case than, the wire-to-wire team, the team that was there all year long, everybody knew they were, you know, they were destined to their point, to their to, to land where they landed. So if we're going to be able to beat those teams, how do we do that? And, you know, between the beginning of the year and the playoffs, is a lot of time, six months to be exact, or right around that. And my question to you is, what else do we need to be a team that can sustain for 162? And really, we only need to win one more game than the Brewers, if you think they're our biggest challenger, or the Cubs, or the Reds. It's obviously not the Pirates. Probably never will be again unless we drastically change the rules, financial rules of the game. (laughs) But anyway, that's, you know, what do we need to do to beat the Braves and the Dodgers, you know, maybe the Phillies, maybe the Diamondbacks. I don't know what the Mets are going to be able to do and so on. But those teams specifically, the, the Braves and the Dodgers in October, just off the top of your head, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so I think kind of what you laid out there, I think it's just like a more in-depth way of kind of describing the the classic St. Louis Cardinals front office strategy of get in and anything can happen kind of a thing. Um, maybe what you're describing is not quite as like mediocre sort of an approach but the same idea applies it's like all right well you don't have to go wire to wire as the top team a la the the dodgers who have been that but have won one world series in the last what 15 years that they've been this dominant or so however long it's been for them um so I think those kind of a thing, that kind of a thing describes really nicely what we've been doing and how effective it can be. Uh, but I also think that you need to be able to be effective in the postseason once you get there versus just, just getting there. Um, so I think 
to me, what I kind of lay out in terms of what do we need to beat the Dodgers and the the Braves is just kind of looking at the Phillies that did beat the Braves. Now, they have a very different front office approach right now, especially with Dave Dabrowski there, who's just going to spend until you know the bottom of his pockets fall out. Um, and we're not going to do that. But the approach, I think, is telling as well in terms of the kinds of players that they've looked for. Um, so guys like Kyle Schwarber, I mean, it definitely seemed like they have a rah-rah sort of a team, which the Cardinals is not are not, you know, stereotypically of, of the last decade or so, or how longer than that, really. We're not that kind of a team. But also the kind of on-base and power guys, especially nowadays with the way the game is played in the postseason in particular, those kind of big momentum swings, those are going to come from timely home runs versus stringing four or five hits together and putting up a crooked number that way in a postseason game. It's just not as likely. Um, and so maybe the Cardinals need to take a, a page out of that kind of a book. And, and that that's maybe a bigger discussion versus just something to do this offseason, I think, and kind of changing an entire approach. Um, and the kinds of players that we look at and kind, kind of strategy we uh, we use. But I think that kind of a thing, uh, along with high leverage bullpen arms like they had, um, like Sir Anthony Dominguez and Matt Strom, and then Kimbrell was there, and I'm missing some other guys, but I mean their bullpen was disgusting. Um, so th- that kind of combination of things, and you know, Arnado and Goldie could be that. Gorman could be that. I think we've got the the skeleton pieces to that. Um, honestly, now I'm kind of talking myself into another high leverage, just nasty bullpen arm. I think some of these guys could develop into that potentially. Um, but then also a starter, uh, a starter that can go out and just dominate a game. In, in the postseason. I think that's the key now for us with what we need to kind of put us over the edge. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be a 105-win team every single year. Uh, but I think that's what we need to be a team that when we get into the postseason, we can look at those series against the Braves and the Dodgers and be like, yeah, we're playing well. But not only that, we can count on these guys to go out you know, and, and just flat out lay out a performance and dominate a game. So I that's kind of where my brain goes. Did that make any sense or did I just kind of ramble for ten minutes? No, that made that made a lot of sense and you hit on a lot of things that we've discussed in the past. Um and that, you know, I know that you and I both share very similar thoughts on. For example, in terms of a dominant starter in the playoffs, <clears throat> I think that's settled science. I mean, I just think you look back over the runs that the successful teams have had, and you can always point to at least one starter, sometimes two, that just went through most of the competition and weren't really hit to any significance. 
Right. Now, the difference today versus, say, I don't know, 1974, 50 years ago, is that those starters may only go five innings. Right. And so while the high leverage arms are super important, you you just have to have, I would say, at a minimum, four quality major league arms ready for the playoffs in the bullpen. And then you need another two to four guys. I mean, that's really starting to get greedy, but hey, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> you need at least another two guys that you have no qualms about bringing in. Because one of those two guys is going to fail, and you're going to lose confidence in them during that that particular series. And those three, you know, quality, or those four quality ar- uh, arms I said that you had, you know, you got your closer, you got your setup guy, you got your traditional, like, seventh inning guy. And then you've got your specialist, usually a lefty, right? That's kind of the... That's kind of the the cliched building of a bullpen. And we see that teams have blurred those roles in order to be effective. You know, bringing in your high leverage uh, reliever, you know, quote unquote closer in the seventh or the eighth if the situation demands it. But the only way you get to those kinds of high leverage situations late in playoff games is you have a starter that gets you there. Yeah. And that, I would say on average, that requires a minimum of five innings. So there's the freaks, right? There's the Max Scherzers who can go out and pitch eight innings in the playoffs and give up one earned run or something. Chris but Carpenter. Those people are, they're, they're, they're the best pitchers in, in Major League Baseball. And even sometimes the best pitchers in Major League Baseball aren't great in the playoffs. Mr. Kershaw. Uh, Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> I mean, we're talking Dodgers, so why not? But Love the guy. I, I feel bad because he seems like a really nice guy, but you got oh, yeah. oh, yeah. to do it. He could use a shave, but that's neither here nor there. Um <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so that's the, that is the, uh, those are facts that we don't right now, we have not yet identified the guy or guys that could dominate a series from a starting perspective. But we do have absolute candidates. Sonny Gray, no question about it's a candidate. Lance Lynn, not for nothing, is a candidate, especially in a one-game situation. He's demonstrated in the past that he can really, you know, pitch at a really, really high level. His problem is putting that together for six months. And then, you know, beyond that, I mean, Miklas has stepped up big time in big games in the past. Uh but you know you start to you start to diminish in quality. Let's just put it that way, with yeah. the candidates for those that role. But you only need one or two of them. So if 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 you could tell me before a series with, you know, not necessarily the Braves and Dodgers, but I don't know. Let's say we would face series uh, the Diamondbacks. Say again. Said so series with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, a series with the Diamondbacks. 
if you could tell me before that series start that I was going to get, you know, really high quality starts out of Gray and and uh, Lynn, you know, then that right there gets me either three or four potential starts in a series, and and then I'll take my chances with everything else. I mean, that's you know, again, it's not fantasy. We don't get to. I can't put Yamamoto and Glass now on my team at the same time unless I'm the Los Angeles Dodgers. So let's look at what they what they've done just real quick. I'm just, I just want to read these names to you: Glass now, Yamamoto, Bobby Miller, Ryan Yarborough, Walker Bueller, and Emmett Sheehan. That is currently the MLB depth chart of the Los Angeles Dodgers starting rotation. And who does that not include? Doesn't include uh, Clayton Kershaw, who I don't believe has a has a contract with any team right now. Correct. Would not be surprised if he went back there. Say again. Would not be surprised if he went back there. Wouldn't either. And it also doesn't include the six, six, seven hundred million, seven hundred million dollar man. Seven. What the heck is that even about? It used to be the seven million dollar man. So we have. I didn't realize we put a factor of of a hundred. hundred. <laughs> on what a what a, a big time man costs. That's crazy. That's um, wild. But anyway, yeah. When I look at this rotation right now, I mean, yeah, the, obviously the top two names. But Glass now isn't Glass not a guy that has never pitched more than 120 innings in his career? Yeah, I think like 120 something was his max. Yeah. So, but when you're looking at a guy in the playoffs, you only need him to be healthy for a month. Right. That's right, and it, that's why timing is everything. Yep. Um, but you know, that's like, also kind of luck, as Michael Scott would say. That's what she said. So anyway, the. <laughs> The Cardinals beat the Dodgers by just beating the brains off of their pitching staff, just like the Diamonds back did the Diamondbacks did this year or 2023. So that's how we beat the Dodgers. Now, we didn't talk about their lineup. That's a little different sticky wicket there. You got a guy by the name of Betts, another guy by the name of Freeman, another guy by the name of Smith, and then let's not forget about Shohei Otani. So that's probably their top four, not in that order. That is insane. But I'm here to tell you, once you get past those four, so in other words, you know, at, at worst every other inning in a game, you're gonna you're gonna be facing a certainly not a murderer's row of any of any sort. You know, Muncie, he's solid, but am I worried? I mean, I'm you know, I gotta face somebody. James Ootman, is he the guy I gotta worry about next year? You know, I mean, what do you think? Tell me your thoughts on. I mean. I don't want. I said James Outman. I had him on our our fantasy team this year. He's good, a good player, but, uh, but yeah, young guys, twenty sixth. I think he was a, a rookie this past yeah. year. So, uh, Chris Taylor is still there, I think, too. Yeah. Um, Gavin Lux. Manuel. I mean, not Mark that they're Hill. not that they're not good players. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So he's. I say not that they're not good players, but like it could go either way with those guys. My point is they don't scare me. And while Chris Taylor has broken the Cardinals' hearts more times than I want to remember, he he's not an all-star hitter. So I, I mean, I don't want to go too far out on the limb because just those four guys alone, I mean, Will Smith, in my mind, is the best catcher in the game right now. I'd take him on my team yesterday um, over um, – you know, our friend in uh, Philly or anybody else. Real Muto, Sean Murphy. Yeah, Sean Murphy, like nice player, you know. But I, I still think Will Smith's the best. And, um, and you know, so if Bats, Freeman, Smith, and Otani hit you, you could be in for a long afternoon anytime. But I, I don't want to go too crazy, but I would feel just fine going into a series with Dodgers as both teams are currently constructed. I'm not going to have nearly the name power, not even close, that L.A. has. And my top four hitters aren't going to be able to compare to their top four hitters. But in every other aspect of the team construction, I would feel really good about it. Maybe the Braves are a little bit different story. They're, and, and, and this is where I need you to help me out. Is it, am I just not being, uh, how do I want to say, it? am I just not being realistic? Am I overvaluing the Braves? Or does their team scare you a little bit more than the Dodgers? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think you're necessarily overvaluing them. I think they have a deeper, like, I guess, higher floor uh, kind of a lineup. I mean, you were talking this this fall uh, with the team. We were talking about them, you know, being compared to the, the Murderer's Row Yankees. No, I'm um, with you. So I'd be more afraid of them from a hitting perspective. I'd be more afraid of the Dodgers from a pitching perspective, I think, is kind of the the place where I'm landing uh, with that. I'm a little bit less scared of the Braves as far as pitching goes. Gotcha. All right. Well, but, I mean, me, that's me. like a 1A, 1B kind of a thing. So <laughs> No, that's fair. Let me throw a few things at you right here. Uh let me get back there. So here's here's what the uh, MLB puts for the Braves rotation. And they also made a deal this week. Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, who's literally 150 years old, uh, Chris Sale, and actually, Charlie celebrated his 40th birthday in November. So he's he officially joins the over 40 starters club, uh, which is actually a club chock full of some amazing pitchers. But uh, so who did I say? Freed, Strider, Morton, Sale, and then Bryce Elder. And then they got uh, Ronaldo Lopez and A.J. Smith, Shaw, Shaw. Shaver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how much did he pitch last year? A little bit? 
not a ton, but yeah, he was good uh, when he did pitch, and and he's supposed to be very good uh, once he really comes up too. He's so. so young, he's he's he won't even yeah. turn. Tw- he just turned twenty one in November. Gosh, he's young. Six three two zero five. That frame feels like it could hold another twenty five pounds, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Very. Uh, but anyway, for this year, Freed Strider, Morton Sale, Elder basically is your five-man rotation. Uh, you've got tremendous industry injury risk, not unlike the Cardinals and probably you know twenty-eight other MLB teams. But you got a lot of injury risk there. Certainly with Sale, Freed, uh, Elder, he's just a guy, right? Yeah. And so that five man rotation, you know, you're right on paper. Maybe you go Dodge. I, you know what? I don't think there's that much difference between them. I think potentially the Braves have a much higher ceiling because they've legitimately got three Cy Young potential pitchers. But I guess the Dodgers, too, if you think of. Yamamoto, Glass now, and Bueller maybe, or, you know, he's got to be healthy. Same thing with Chris Sale. I mean, they just made that deal this week, and I forget what they gave up for him. I don't think it was as much as, you know, the Sox would have really wanted. I think that was more the Sox getting out from under the money. And then in their bullpen, they got uh, Iglesias, who is pretty solid, I think. Minter, Jimenez, you know, they got some pitchers. Uh, Lopez probably does most of his work out of the pen for them. So we'll see there. But then you're right. Then we start looking at the lineup, and it gets a little ugly. So... Just based on the depth chart that the MLB has here, you got Murphy, Olsen, Albies, Riley, and Arcia. Um, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> and then you got uh, you got a guy by the name of Acuna Jr. and right, Michael Harris, and I guess Kalenic or Marcel Osuna are the left fielders, and probably more likely you got Osuna as the DH. So that's a very strong lineup. I mean, obviously, I don't know if Ronald's going to be able to do again next year what he did last year. Uh, Same thing with a guy like an Austin Riley, although I don't think there's much doubt he's a pro hitter. Olsen's one of the best hitters in the league. Murphy's, you know, arguably the best catcher. If you're not a Will Smith fan like I am, or a real Muto fan like everybody in Philly is, uh, this team would be the gold standard as far as I can see. You know, we start looking at some of the other rosters, some of the other bullpens, and you're seeing a lot of names of guys you never heard of, usually because they're young, very young. Uh, All the teams that can't spend all the money in the world have, you know, plenty of guys that you and I have never heard about. I'm sure most people in cities that aren't St. Louis wouldn't be able to tell you a whole lot about a guy like Burleson, for example, uh, unless he hurt their team once. 
And so, you know, that's true of all the teams. Like even at, uh, even the Braves have a guy by the name of Forrest Wall as third on their second base depth chart. And if Forrest Wall walked up to me tomorrow at the Aldi and said, how you doing? I wouldn't know who he was. So I don't think that's on. Nobody be on the, the, uh, MLB all name team though with Lars Newbar. Yeah, I guarantee. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, Forrest can really <laughs> play the wall, so that's good. Um, but yeah, so we're we uh, uh, we have we ha- we. How do I want to say? It? If we had the Braves tomorrow in a playoff series, I would understand that we would be the underdog. Let me put it to you like that. Um, would I still be confident? Absolutely. Are there a lot of factors other than everybody's career stats that come into play? Obviously. So when we look at our team and say, what do we still need? I think you and I are in agreement that putting together a team that can meet those demands of the playoffs you know, identifying a pitcher or two. And sometimes, unfortunately, you don't know who that guy is until the middle of September. Because when you have guys like we have that are solid, but maybe not, you know, in the top five, ten starters in the league, although I would argue Gray is probably in the National League. He's he's probably a top ten starter. Um yeah, he's but, up there. You know, when you have guys that are more in the, you know, the 20s and 30s in terms of how good they are as of starters in their league. You know, if you think of the NL, you're looking at what is that? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 starters. And you know, regular starters, guys that would qualify or whatever. Um if, you know, if you if the preponderance of your guys are in the you know, in the 25 to 50 range, then you, you know, how do I identify who's going to be the hot, you know, the hot hand, the hot guy that, you know, that potentially wins a playoff MVP, right. whatever, you know, that's hard to do. Well, that's, that's what I thought about when you were bringing up Michaelis and talking about like a, faux you know playoff series or something like that um it's like how would you feel about michaelis going into a playoff series if he just came off of like you know six straight quality starts and you know the last month and a half he's had a 1.5 era or something like that how would you feel about him in that situation yeah you know so you can look right now in january and say oh that would be awful to have miles michaelis play or pitch in a postseason game but like there's a scenario where you know you could be feeling very confident. Um, now you can't you can't count on that all the time, but you know it's it's not as easy as just saying, well, we're just going to pay for the biggest names, and then we're going to win, and that's that's where all that well, you know, comes in. So, you, I would invite uh, you to the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers press releases of the last six weeks and say that not everybody agrees with that opinion, Duncan. <laughs> That's a very good but point. No, no, I no, you're you're making you're you're you I mean I know you instinctually already get this. I'm just saying it out loud to make sure I 
can say what I feel, which is exactly that. I mean, otherwise, none of the rest of the teams would even compete. You know, even the Pirates, as dismal as they may be, they're going into this season with the idea of winning the World Series. Now, the way that happens, you know how they say, you know, we have supercomputers now. I, I know most of the audience hasn't figured that out yet, but, you know, they're old like me, so that's what happens. But the facts are is that They've run iterations on things all the time. And I love when they say, yeah, we ran this iteration where the Cardinals and the Braves met in the NLCS and they ran it 10,000 times and the Braves won the series 72% of the time. And I'd be like, yeah, that, that sounds maybe about right. I don't know. I'd have to look at it a little bit closer, but I'm not necessarily surprised except – you and I both know that the odds are exactly the same in the next iteration as they were in the one prior to it. Yep, every time That's you right. Yep. And so, yes, you could say if you had enough history, you know, betters, uh, uh, odds makers and, you know, touts and all this do this all the time. And it kind of drives me a little crazy. It'll be like, yeah, Oklahoma has beaten Oklahoma State you know, 16 of the last 18 years. Well, yeah, but the kid that was playing left tackle for Oklahoma 18 years ago, that dude's like 40 now, right? So what are we talking about? <laughs> and and that's kind of what's going on here too. We, you know, we have to assess our situation that we're in at the moment and what everybody's going to do because it's getting ready to start all the shows, all the writers, all the pods, everybody's going to be saying, okay, well, where's everybody? What's, what's your prediction, you know, Kyle, for 2024? And he's going to say, oh, well, I think the Braves and Dodgers are going to meet in the uh, NLCS, and I'm going to go with the Dodgers. With the addition of Otani, I think it takes them over the top. And I think they're going to be in the World Series. And everybody would be like, I mean, whoever, I don't know anybody that pays attention to that kind of stuff because it doesn't mean anything. And what, what, what I think we're trying to do as Cardinals fans is say, okay, granted, the Dodgers are going to outspend us by $100 million plus. Braves, who knows how much more they're going to spend, outspend us by. Because you know, really, like just like in – in the National Football League, having a quality quarterback on his first contract is the most valuable thing you can have. Same thing in MLB. Having star players that are, you know, still pre-arb or just arbitration, well, really pre-arb, that is by far the most valuable thing. You know, that's why a, a, a guy like... Um, Oh, what's the dude's name on the Diamondbacks? I can't believe I forgot his name already. I could see his face. Corbin Carroll? Yeah, Corbin Carroll. That's why a guy like that is so valuable. 100%. That's why Jordan Walker can be so valuable to us. Oh, no, he absolutely is that valuable right yeah. now, and so is Nolan Gorman. Yeah. I mean, if those two – now, I wouldn't argue that either one of them 
really can tie Goldie or Nato's shoes yet, but they're certainly invited to the same table, right? And they're invited to learn at the feet of the masters, right? And so those two guys hopefully become our Goldie and Nato in, you know, three to five years. And, you know, of course, all the other guys that we spend all of our pods talking about. So when we break down the two teams, I mean, the the Braves really are just stacked from an offensive perspective. They really don't have – I mean, is Arcia their worst hitter? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Kalanick, yeah. You know – he hasn't proven um, it yet. I mean, Osuna's streaky. There's stuff you could say about all of them. Albie's a little streaky, too. You know, whatever. But these guys are studs up and down the lineup. And, you know, so we probably don't, you know, my declaration was we beat the Dodgers by just out hitting them and, you know, knocking their pitchers into submission. I think with the Braves, it's more nuanced. I think with the Braves, we try to limit the damage they're able to do. So, in other words, reduce the long ball as much as possible. And then, you know, be competitive when we're at, in, at the bat. I mean, I think I think that's going to be true regardless who we're playing and when we're playing them. I think we have a very high-level offense. I mean, I haven't looked at every other team in DNL as they're currently constituted, but – I feel very confident in saying we have a top five offense. Do you think that's too ambitious, too aggressive? No, I don't think so at all. I think that's exactly where we should end up at the end of the year. I mean, easily we could finish in the top two or three. Yeah. Uh, But I think, you know, somewhere in the top five is realistic based on our, based on the roster and health and all the other things, you know, we have to say it. So, what other thoughts do you have about who we have, what we need, what we're trying to do? I think we covered most of it, didn't we? Yeah, I say I don't have any other things for that. Uh, I was going to say uh, our last point that we had, we might have to save, or last topic we might have to save for uh, next episode and everything, uh, talking about the the front office and what they owe to the fans versus what they owe to you know stakeholders like the owners and, and those kind of things and how that dynamic all works together. We might have to save that for next episode. We'll kind of maybe we could just do a whole episode on that. I think that could be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to get well we we can't start talking about the Cardinals or the game in general without talking about individual players and you know, I mean, that's just kind of that's part and parcel of it. But, yeah, definitely uh, at least we'll start our next pod with a, um, uh, you know, with a, an examination, if you will, um, you know, very much a uh, uh, designated few minutes where we talk about, uh, like you said, what, what the front offices kind of, responsibility for lack of a better term is this could be good i thought you know there's been a lot of 
spicy commentary out there right now about that. So I'm excited to, to get your take on it and see where we both land. That sounds great. All right. Well, uh, what else did you want? Did you, was there anything else we need to discuss before we, uh, bid our fans adieu until when are we going to, when are we going to record again, Duncan, toward the end of the week, maybe? No, we're going to make it, it's a Sunday, uh, Sunday evening thing, uh, for recording. So we'll get it out early in the week. All right. Um, all right. Yeah. Nothing else I can think of now. So close us on out. All right. So that'll be it for us for tonight. Again, it's great to talk to everybody. Uh, as we all know, it's kind of difficult to talk about the future that hasn't happened yet. We have litigated the past, uh, we feel like as much as necessary or that we have any desire to do. But we always invite your comments. So if there is something that you did not hear or have not heard yet this offseason that you feel like is important for us to talk about prior to the beginning of the 2024 season, which let me remind everybody, Pitchers and catchers report in, what is it, roughly 40 days. I apologize, I don't have that exact number in front of me, but I will have it next time we talk. It's coming, is my point. And so, while we'll all uh, we'll all continue to hope and pray for uh, a top-of-the-line starter and what the heck, throw in a, another slugger, whatever, fine. We'll be... Uh, In the meantime, you know, just keeping track of the Cardinals news and all the news around MLB and, uh, you know, begin to really get excited about the the upcoming season. So, Duncan, um, I hope that you uh, have a good rest of your evening and a good uh, beginning of the week. And I know you're going to get this pod out to um, our listeners as soon as you can. And uh, and then we're going to get back together and record again, uh, you know, very soon as well. We've already got a couple things that you hinted at for our next episode. All right, sir. Sounds like a plan. Are you have a good rest of your night too. All right, Duncan. Thanks a lot, and thanks to everybody for listening. This is Broadway and Clark signing off. Till next time. Mm-hmm.